a new series. So the preacher um, did see his shadow. So we'll see how long the series will be. It'll be a few weeks. Uh, but we're going to go through the book of James. Today, I think if you're familiar with the book of James, we're going to start off with this idea about uh, counting it all joy. James has got so many different themes in it, but one of the ones that always stands out to me is it is a faith that works itself out. So you see kind of the drafting picture, the, the mechanics. Uh, Paul was always so strong on, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, he would speak about faith and being saved by faith alone. And James kind of does the other side of the coin and says, if you have faith, it's going to show itself in works. So we're going to be looking at the book of James for the next few weeks. Today's message is really about uh, how we deal with suffering. And probably for the first time in my life, um, I've read the first 12 verses together before, but I never could quite figure out how the themes went together. And yesterday, it just like, clicked. <laughs> so I hope I can help you see that today and see that that verses 1 through 12, they actually all are tied around to the same idea, and hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. So let's look together, beginning of James chapter 1, verse 1. The Word of God says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Count it all joy. Who in here has never had a bad day? Yeah, right? We all get that feeling. And I hope that you'll hear today that this, the message is not just about suffering because you're a Christian. The message today is just about suffering and how in the path of obedience, God can use our suffering to make us complete. And everybody in here has to deal with suffering. So you let the Lord speak to your heart today. I want to start off with an illustration I think kind of carries the idea a little bit for us this morning. Um, it's from, uh, legend, uh, from Legendary Business Leaders is where the quote's from. It says, William Wrigley Jr., the founder of Wrigley Gum, and later the namesake for Wrigley Field in Chicago, ran away from home at the age of 11 to escape working in the family's soap manufacturing business. He went to New York where he sold newspapers, but he was soon back home. In 1891, he left for good, going to Chicago to make his fortune. In the beginning, Wrigley continued to sell soap and he offered a free can of baking powder as an incentive to buy his soap. <laughs> soap sales weren't strong, but people love the baking powder. So he started selling it exclusively while now offering two pieces of gum as an incentive. He soon discovered that the gum was even more popular than the baking powder, and that's how he went into the gum business, right? Similarly, Levi Strauss, anybody familiar with that person? Synonymous with blue jeans in American culture. But the man by the name wasn't thinking about jeans when he went to California in hopes of making his fortune during the gold rush of the 40s and the 1850s. He did make a fortune, but not the way he planned. He set out with a load of heavy canvas fabric from which he planned to sell sections for tents and wagon covers. 
on arrival, the first miner who saw his product said, you should have brought pants. <laughs> the seasoned miner further explained how there weren't any pants strong enough to endure the tough condition of mining, and Strauss immediately made the miner a pair of work pants, and he thus struck gold, right? So both of those are examples of persistence in trial. And I want you to be challenged this morning that that's the Lord's message for us today is to find the path of persistence in trial, knowing that actually, if we can count it all joy, he will help develop us, develop persistence in our life. So how do you face trials in your life? With joy, of course, right? That sounds absurd, doesn't it? It's like, what are you talking about? And yet that is James' advice to his brothers and sisters. So look again in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Anybody know who James was? James, this James, is the half-brother of Jesus, yes. He could have started off his book by saying, hello, I'm James, I'm Jesus' brother. Did a little name dropping, <laughs> but he didn't do that at all. As a matter of fact, what is the word that he uses? Slave. He's a slave. Hmm, that's kind of interesting, isn't it, right? He starts off his book to the 12 tribes that he is a servant of the Lord. Not that he's his brother, but that he's his servant. That should tell you something about his mindset right off the bat. And then who is James writing to? Now, when we read a lot in the book of Paul's books, Paul's writings, we have specific towns or specific churches, right? But James is actually writing to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad. And for all of you Greek people, that word scattered is where we get the word diaspora, the, the big dispersion of Jews. So he says he's writing to God's people all scattered abroad. And by this time, there were Jews all around the Middle East. And so James is, is who his audience is. Then he starts off with this idea, and this is where we want to kind of begin, but also end today, and that is the idea of pure joy. Pure joy. Why face trials with joy? Because it builds us into exactly what God wants us to be. Look at it again at verse 2. This is NIV here. The Word of God says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How do you normally face trials? Why me? That's how I face them. Anybody else like that? When I was, uh, Isaiah was in like first grade or kindergarten, and I had, I started a brand new sermon series. And I had to take this picture of this kind of a beagle puppy dog. I was really into photography. And this poor puppy dog just looked so sad in this picture. Big old droopy eyes and droopy everything. And so I thought, I'm going to do this sermon series on why me. Well, the week of the sermon series, Isaiah was playing soccer. And I went out and I was doing this stuff with this little other little girl. And I stepped back on my other foot. And I broke, literally broke my ankle. Like you could hear it snap. And then she could see me hobbling around. The little girl goes, that's what you get for showing off. <laughs> and so the whole sermon series I did on crutches, why me, right? When trials come, sometimes that's kind of how we address them, isn't it? Why does so-and-so seem to have plenty of money? Why does so-and-so seem to have great relationships? 
Why do they seem like they're so healthy and everything just seems to go good for them? But why do I get the junk? Any of you ever feel like that? My grandpa Malone called those pity parties. And I'm pretty good at throwing them, right? So here, that's one way a lot of times we respond. And yet James says, when you face trials, instead of with complaining or bitterness or even anger or depression, NIV, I like the word, the phrase here is, count it pure joy. When you think of pure joy, what comes to mind? I mean, I think of the last second anything where the team wins, right? Go to your favorite basketball, football, hockey, I don't care, baseball game, whatever that last moment is, and the underdog wins, and the team just, yeah, that's pure joy. How many of you address your trials like that? Uh, yeah, preacher, you're crazy, right? You're probably saying that about James today. Again, now, if you'll bear with me, there's a lot of really encouraging meaning to this idea of how we can face trials. I was listening to a song a few weeks ago. It's by Shane and Shane. It's called Though You Slay Me. And in the, the middle of this song, a famous preacher named John Piper, he has a little tiny mini sermon. I just wanted to read a little bit of that to you this morning. But this one line just kept ringing through my mind over and over again. And I hope that for those of you that are suffering today, that this will be an encouragement to you. So John Piper says this, he goes, I'll venture this, every millisecond of your pain from fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that suffering. Every millisecond of your pain from fallen nature to fallen man. So he's saying not just the suffering that you get because you're proclaiming Christ and someone mocks you or someone persecutes you, but everything that's a result of even the original sin, all the suffering we face, it is not wasted. He says, our light momentary affliction is doing something. It is not meaningless. Such a controversial statement that every affliction is not meaningless. He goes on to say, he says, so if anybody says to me that a believer's suffering was meaningless, I'll be quiet, probably because they're hurting really bad right now. I'm going to wait and see when the right time is, but I'm going to come back eventually and say, it wasn't meaningless. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless because 2 Corinthians 4 says that my light, momentary, lifelong, total affliction is doing something. It's doing something. It is not meaningless. He goes on and says, of course, you can't see what it's doing. And that's the main thing, the main unseen thing in that passage that it talks about. What's the unseen you're supposed to look at? You're supposed to look at the promise of God that says your pain is doing something for you. You can't see it. You can't feel it. Either you see it with the eyes of faith and believe it because the text says it, or you lose heart. Here's a challenge to you today. Sometimes you feel like your pain is meaningless, right? Why me? Why is this happening? I don't get it. I don't understand. And what James is trying to teach us, if we'll embrace our trial with joy, we'll find perseverance. And ultimately, we're going to get there today, reward when we embrace the trials that the Lord gives us. Again, not me speaking, but James says, trials produce perseverance. They test your faith. They're not meaningless. 
and they can come in all forms. It can be a broken washing machine or a broke down car. It can be tight finances or relationship problems. It can be persecution for preaching Jesus or cancer, but they all work for your good if, hear me out, if you're walking in the path of obedience. If, that's the big condition, isn't it, right? If I will obey the Lord and follow his path, whatever pain is coming is for his glory and my joy. And so hear the message today, and it's a tough, tough message. James is so clear, easy to understand, so hard to obey, is to embrace trials. They will all work out for our good if we walk in the path of obedience. You guys remember what they say about character and sports, right? Do sports make character? No. Sports reveal it, right? Then plenty of preachers lose their sanctification or their reputation when they put them on a ball field, right? Because they sports have a way of really revealing who you are. Well, trials here today don't necessarily make faith. They will develop perseverance, but you know what trials reveal? Faith. Think about that. When trials come, how do the strongest, the most maturest believers how do they embrace the trials? Do they whine and complain and say, oh, woe is me, and tell everybody how bitter and hard their struggle is, and you can't compare your problems to mine because mine are so much worse? Is that what the saints of God, the really mature people do in the Lord? No, trials reveal faith. I think that's a challenging thing for all of us this morning. They do produce perseverance and patience. They teach us to go for the long haul to push away from the temporary and to look to the eternal. Look together in 2 Corinthians 4. You guys probably all know this verse. Paul writes, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Who's talking here? Paul? Light and momentary. You think being beaten 39 times on three different occasions is light and momentary? Think being stoned and being left for dead is light and momentary. Think being shipwrecked and abandoned is light and momentary. It is in comparison of what's ahead. You think for Miss Charlotte, what she endured with that horrible throat and tongue cancer was light? It is in comparison of what's in store. That's a hard way to think, isn't it, right? And yet that's what James is trying to hit us with today. We need to embrace trials with joy. And what, what a difficult thing, but what a rewarding thing if the Lord will help us to get to that place. This continual testing works in you that you can be complete, perfect, mature in everything that God wants you to be. Now hear me out this morning, please. Hear me out here. This does not mean to fake a smile when your grief is terrible. Hello? When you come into this place and your grief is hard and your life is tough, we're not asking you to fake it. As a matter of fact, we're a family, right? And you ought to be able to share with your family, hey, I'm really struggling in here. Hey, this is hurting. Hey, this is hard. We're not saying fake it, but we, we are saying is to give it to the Lord and ask him to help you to embrace those things with joy. And I want to, again, be clear this morning. This doesn't mean that the pain is less or that it won't hurt. But it does mean there is supernatural help available to us 
when we face suffering in our walk with the Lord. There is joy in the path if we are willing to ask and seek for it. And I think that's the problem, isn't it, right? The pain comes, and part of me is I'd rather just wallow in my misery. I want everybody to know how hard it is, or I would just want, oh, my life is so tough. Wendy, come here, take care of me. She's like, take care of yourself, right? We, we really, to some extent, we want to just like embrace that misery. And what James is telling you, no, there is a path for joy, but you're going to have to ask for it. You're going to have to seek for it. And that's where it moves into the whole next part of the chapter. See the connecting? <laughs> James is going to talk about getting wisdom. And so that's where we go next, asking for wisdom. There is joy to be had in the midst of trial, but we have to ask for it. Look down if you would there in the next verse, verse five. If any of you, James says, lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to him. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't end in verse five, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. If you know how to face a trial and ask God for wisdom, James says he gives it generously. But we need to ask in faith, and that oftentimes means persistently asking. Have you ever had anybody just ask you over and over and over, and you finally gave in just to shut them up? Right? That's the story of the widow, right? In Luke 18, right? She comes to the judge, and she just keeps bugging the judge, bugging the judge, and the judge finally says, okay, well, how much more your heavenly Father who loves you when you ask him, right? Pain is persistent, so our faith must be persistent as well. Let me give a quick illustration here from A.B. Simpson. Um, A.B. Simpson gives a wonderful example of the power of accumulative prayer. This is such a great idea. Hear it out if you would. In the city of Rangoon, there resided the largest and the finest bell in all the East, and it was the pride of the great Buddhist temple. And during one uh, war, the bell was sank in a river, and over the years, various engineers tried but failed to raise the bell. And at last, a clever priest asked permission to try, but only if he could have the bell after it was over. Listen to what he did. The priest had assistants gather an immense number of bamboo rods, and one by one, the rods were fastened to the bell at the bottom of the river. After thousands of them, thousands of them had been fastened, the bell began to move. When the last bamboo rod was attached, the buoyancy of the accumulated rods lifted the bronze bell from the mire of the river bottom to the stream's surface. And Simpsons writes, faith can lift the heaviest of burdens and the highest of mountains. Here, look what he says. Every whisper, a believing prayer, is like one of the little bamboo rods. For a time, they seem to be in vain, but there comes a last breath of believing supplication, and lo, the walls of Jericho fall, the mountain becomes a plain, and the host of Amalek is defeated. Don't quit praying. Don't quit believing. Are you hearing the Lord today? Somebody, this is for you today. You're putting your bamboo rods, Lord, help me with this. Or, and you're saying, this is not doing any good. Well, you've only done 10, and you may have to do 500. <laughs> Keep praying. Don't quit. And over the time, the Lord 
it allows those things to have a great impact. Again, if we ask wavering, on the one hand, we are asking, hoping, really hoping God will help. But on the other hand, we're figuring out our plan B and how we're going to fix it all if he doesn't do what we want. We won't be receiving any wisdom from God. When we ask, we need to ask in faith, believe, and keep believing. There is wisdom from God at the end of the request. Look on down, if you would, at our next verse there. And we're going to look at how riches and prosperity and the, the fact that they're not all cracked up to be, how they tie into the same very idea about dealing with trials and suffering. Let's go to verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Now hear me out, this is also important this morning, the way we word this. I'm not saying that any of us today desire poverty, okay? But in poverty, people learn to depend upon the Lord and through those trials, the Lord will lift up that person. In riches, what happens? I don't need God, right? I don't really need a God today. I'm okay. I got this. I'm taking care of my stuff. I got money in the bank. I got food on the table. I got shelter. And in poverty, we see that that creates a need within us. And so again, where we go back, where we already started today is please hold on to this. Your riches are temporary. Do you believe that? Your riches are temporary. Just like we said, light and momentary affliction is temporary, so are your riches. And again, our heart and our mind has to be towards what is eternal. There can still be reward for the rich, but they must be sure that they're laying their treasures up in heaven. There's a quote from Seneca with this idea, the good things which belong to prosperity are to be wished, but the good things which belong to adversity are to be admired. Trials is what develops character and what brings us to where the Lord would have us to be. This is where we have to help each other in our children. Please, how can I say this a thousand ways today? Please don't put your hope in riches. I mean, our kids are being bombarded with putting their hope in riches a thousand different ways, right? I know it's been a real struggle even when I talk to my own daughter and she has been around some wealthy people, and it's such a temptation, isn't it, right? Man, wealthy people, they can set their own schedule. They don't have to go work to nine to five. They're not worried about even insurance. Really wealthy people don't have to buy insurance because they have enough money to pay for the things that they need. And that desire can really begin to overwhelm your heart. Like, oh, if I could just be rich, I wouldn't need anybody's help. And I just beg of you today, help our young people and help one another. Don't put your trust in riches because that's the point of the whole world system we live in today, especially the American system, as capitalistic as we are, is put your hope in riches. And James says, if you do, it's gonna be destroyed, right? Don't put your hope there. Put your hope in the Lord. If we do these things, then there is this reward. Look down at verse 12. Again, if I can count it all joy, if I can face my trials with joy, if I can ask the Lord for wisdom to help me have joy in the trial, 
if I can set aside the desire for all of worldly gain and really lay up my treasures in heaven, then I have this to look forward to. And that's how this whole passage fits together. Verse 12, the reward. James says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's the word of God. That's the truth. But we don't believe that. We come and are like, yep, it's nice to come to church. I like to sing some songs and get a good testimony, ask someone to pray for me. I go home. That's a good day. And then what am I doing all week long? Riches, riches, riches. Right? I got to get to work. Got to make a buck. Got to save money. Can't go to that restaurant anymore. It's way too expensive. <laughs> I got to figure out how my gas prices, how I'm going to get my best deal. Riches, riches, riches. How much even in this whole time of inflation is our concentration about money rather than about honoring the Lord? I'm going to tell you, mine is in the wrong place way too many times. And this truth rings true. Rings true. There is reward for those who stand the test, who persevere. And the way you persevere is you count your trials as pure joy by asking the Lord to be your help. That is not penology. That is right from the word of God. And that's challenging, isn't it, right? And that's where we kind of are trying to pull this together today. Again, prosperity has temporary rewards, but perseverance has eternal ones. And with it comes the crown of life. This is the long hope. This is the, the long wait is for eternal life. And trial produces perseverance. Perseverance results in life. Even one of our greatest trials is facing death, yet God will give us life in the process. And hear me out again today. I'm not telling you don't pray for an easier way, okay? The Lord loves you, but you know he's going to give you what's best. But we don't know what the path is, right? So when someone comes to me, even Joni says, hey, Ryan and Rachel, they're having a hard time with this. That's trial. I don't want them to stay in trial. I'm gonna ask the Lord to come and deliver and make his name great in that. But if he allows the trial to stay, then I'm gonna ask the Lord to give them the joy and the perseverance to face the trial, okay? So please don't hear me out of saying that we don't ever pray for an easy path, but we do pray in all these things that the Lord would give us joy and perseverance as we face them. It is good to seek the Lord in all situations, but we all know that we often do not get what we desire. Yet look at this, for the Christian walking in obedience, we will get what he desires, which is better by far. <laughs> That's hard, but it's true, guys. It is true. When we give our trials to the Lord and ask him to help us find joy in the trial, we get what the Lord desires, which is better by far. All right, let me give you this from the Journal of John Wesley. This is so good. John Wesley was a famous preacher in the 1700s, and he would write in his journal all of his events, and they give the idea of faith and persistence and trial. He writes, 1738, May 7th, Sunday a.m., he preached in St. Lawrence's. He was asked not to come back anymore. <laughs> He's preaching in the church. They told him, don't come back anymore. That evening, he preached at St. Catherine's Church. The deacon said, get out and stay out. These are right from his journal. The next week, May 14th, he preached at St. Anne's. He said, I can't go back there either. The next week, May 21st, he preached at St. John's. He was kicked out again. That Sunday evening, he, was at, he thought St. Bennett's, maybe. He said, deacons called a special meeting. 
and said, I couldn't return. A year later, in 1739, Tuesday, May the 8th, afternoon service, he preached in a pasture in Bath. 1,000 people came to hear him. That fall, September 9th, he preached in the Moorfields to 10,000 people three weeks in a row. Persistence in faith has reward. Amen? Again, it's challenging. I know some of you guys, you're hurting, and I, and I don't want you to hide your hurt, but I want you to know the Lord has a path for you where you can embrace the trial and find joy and strength even in the trial. Where is your hope at today? Are you longing for eternal life? Or are you just looking for the easiest or maybe the richest path through this one? All right, those four ideas that we looked at, just real quick again, count it all joy, ask for wisdom, push away from the earthly wealth, and when you're able to do those things, there is a reward that lasts forever. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And, of course, the key verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure today? I know a little bit about where Todd and Donna's treasure is, and it's in these two little boys because <laughs> that's where their heart is so much, right? Where's your heart at today? Where's your treasure at? The Lord speaks and challenges in this way. Well, that song I told you about earlier, Though You Slay Me, Shane Bernard wrote that song, and this is a little bit of story about where it came from. In the very midst of life's deepest pains and most gut-wrenching losses, God loves to give a strange and wonderful gift. We cry out for healing or relief or some pressing change in circumstances, and sometimes God answers those cries, but even more often, he gives us something more supernatural, praise. For Shane Bernard, it came in the hospital room at the passing of his father. When the doctor informed Bernard and his mother that his father was dead, the flood of pain and shock came. Bernard's mother wasn't able to stand, and she began hyperventilating. So great was the pain and the loss. As Bernard held his mother to comfort her, he says, as she wailed, she sang softly underneath her breath, the words of Job 121. He gives, he takes, and blessed be the name of the Lord. No wonder Shane Bernard is so good. Look at his mom, right? Bernard remembers it as a beautiful cry, not only in her tone and her pitch, but in her vocalizing her deep trust in God, even while neck deep in the tides of pain at loss. It was the most painful room, says Bernard, but there was so much joy as they turned their hearts together to worship in the hardest moment of their lives, which became the inspiration for the song, Though You Slay Me. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who is all I need. Is the Lord all you need today? Seek him, and with wisdom you will find joy in your trials. Let's stand this morning.